and welcome to Church for the Cities podcast in Yuma, Arizona with lead pastor Tyrone P. Jones. Our mission is for people to encounter the reality and presence of God. For sermon videos and next steps, visit us at ctcfamily.com. Now join us for the message. Well, I want to, I'm going to pray after I uh, share about our, our uh, speaker. But, um, you know, one of the things that's important to me is always having just quality people that can come and administer the word. When it came time for me to select a, I don't think I told you this, uh, Dustin, when it came time for me to select a speaker for this particular occasion, first person that came to my mind was Dustin Woodward. And uh, I was just so hoping that I would, that he would uh, commit to coming. Dustin and Mandy lead a great church in uh, Albuquerque Citizen Church. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal church. I see three of the four, oh no, two of the four uh, children are, are sitting there. A, uh, they got four children, Avery, Aiden, Asher, and Aslan. Uh, Dustin's father, uh, Pastor Galen, along with uh, uh, his mom, Kay, they were pastoring Citizen for 28 years. They will be with us actually in August uh, doing a parenting seminar and preaching on Sunday morning. But they they turned the church over uh, to Dustin. And I said this in the first service, Pastor Galen must have been very prophetic and saw what was coming because he turned the church over to his 36-year-old son six weeks before COVID hit. So he must have had some foresight and say, uh-uh, not doing this. Here you go. <laughs> but uh, so six weeks after uh, before COVID hit, he launches into carrying that church to the next level uh, so it's been a, a year and a half but it's done a phenomenal job you don't hear me you'll hear me say people are great mentors so you'll hear me talk about spiritual fathers in my life but it's very rare that you hear me say that a person is a world-class leader it is without question to me at 37 years old he is one of the finest leaders i have ever known i mean he's just an outstanding outstanding leader and just a wonderful man of God. It also brings me joy to just tell you that today I don't have a Sunday morning hangover from playing golf on Saturday because I finally had somebody in the cart with me that I could beat. And so that was, so that was a good Saturday, was a good day. So, but it was, it, it's, it's, a, it's a joy and an honor to bring to you not only a friend, but just a tremendous pastor and leader, Pastor Dustin Woodward. I, I told him first service, I think it's, you guys can go ahead and be seated. I think it's so funny because I walked into the house yesterday after golfing. I said, Mandy, I finally golfed with someone I can beat. So I'm joking. He's, he's, he's better. He's better. Well, hey, are you guys excited to be here today? What a great day for your church, the history of your church. And I know you just talked about me, but I, I have to return the favor on that. Pastor Tyrone, uh, we met a little over two years ago. I was speaking at a youth conference here. And when I went home after talking with you and hanging out with you, I knew instantly you were gonna be someone I looked up to and I watched. I, I love watching people's lives and watching you in Virginia and how you treat people, the wisdom that you have, and especially um, watching you at the beginning of the pandemic and all through the pandemic, navigating all of the decisions, it's insane. But what I saw in you was someone that I wanted to model my life after, my pastoring after, the wisdom that your pastor had through this last year, the burden he had to carry, unbelievable. And I think you led the way on all of that. Thank you so much. 
And thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here today. And Virginia, we love you. You are just, you bring so much joy to every room that you're in. And you treat my family like gold. We love you. And uh, like Pastor Tyrone was saying, I've been friends with his son, Tyrone, for a long time now. I guess several years. Where is Tyrone? Is he in here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there you are. Okay, we switched places on me. And then Kareem. Okay, I got you. I'm I'm good. Okay, Um, Pastor Tyrone, we've been friends for several years now. You invited me to come out and speak at the conference and stuff. And Mandy and I uh, genuinely view you guys as close, great, great, great friends. Uh, Tyrone is one of those guys, when you get on the phone with him, every time I see his name, I'm like, I'm answering this. I'm answering this. Because I get off the phone feeling like a million million bucks when I get off the phone with, with Tyrone. I mean, he just builds you up and I love you so much. Uh, he and Karina got to come out the day we became pastors and uh, Tyrone just spoke at our youth camp. Uh, was that last week? Last week? Wow, that seems like an eternity ago and was amazing at our youth camp. So you guys have quite the youth pastor among other things and Tisha, we love you. This whole Jones family, are they just not just incredible people? Uh, Tisha, you're an amazing leader and, and just how people talk about you and how good of a leader you are and the vision that you have. Thank you for investing into this church and the church as a whole. Give her a hand too. And then last but not least, uh, Pastor Tyrone mentioned my family, but my whole family's here and that doesn't happen very often traveling together. So thank you for give, doing that for us. It's pretty cool. But my wife, Mandy is here. We pastor together. We lead the church together as co-pastors and she is quite the leader, um, quite the communicator and she is a, a world class leader herself. Give my wife a hand. And then my kids, my three older kids, Avery, 17, you you can stand, wave, whatever, or just sit there, but she's the beautiful blonde down. Oh, oh, okay. Avery. And then uh, she's 17. Aiden is 16 over here. And then Asher is 12. They're awesome. So very cool to be able to bring them. I consider it a huge honor to be with you guys today on the 28th anniversary of your church. There's so much going on today. Fourth of July, 28th anniversary. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool what you guys are going on, but 28 years, uh, one pastor, one church, one city, that's rare. And I just want to tell you, I get the opportunity to go to a lot of churches, whether it's speaking or just attending. I love going to churches when I'm out of town. Let me tell you something. You guys have something very special here, and I am begging you to never take this for granted. This does not happen everywhere. Um, I, the way your pastor talks about you as individuals, it's not just the church or my church, it's the people and how much he loves you, um, second to none. And you guys are so lucky to have this church and those leaders. So uh, today, again, I'm so honored to be here with you guys today. I've titled my message, Living the God Dream. Living the God Dream. So I felt like this topic was special for you guys today with where you are, 28 years in existence as a church, but what's on the horizon for the church? Not just for the church though, but you individually. When I talk about a God dream, what a God dream is and isn't, we're gonna talk about that, but I wanna tell you as an individual, you have a God dream. God has destined you for a purpose. He created you for a purpose. And if no one is an accident, and we believe the Bible absolutely says, no one is born by accident. And if that's the truth, then you were born on purpose. God has purpose for you, has destiny for you, but it's his dream and not yours. So I want to say, looking at everything going on in society right now, everything going on in our country and around the world, I think right now is the best time ever for you to pick up your God dream. And not just you as an individual, but as a church 
as well. So you probably heard the phrase though, living the dream, not God dream, but living the dream. Uh, that phrase is so weird because we say it all the time, like just live in the dream, or it looks like they're just living the dream. But have you ever stopped and just wondered what in the world is the dream? What is the dream? Are they really living the dream? Like you could be working away at work and you're on your computer and you take a second to breathe and you go through social media and someone you know is in the Caribbean or they're at the beach, wherever they're at, their feet are propped up. It's a beautiful landscape. Everything seems perfect. And they put a little hashtag living the dream or whatever. And you start sulking. They're on vacation. They get to do this. I'm at work and they're living the dream. But all we got to do is just stop for a second and remember the last time you were on vacation, it was great, but if you have kids, you have kids, they're fighting, and that whole trip of the hour leading up to the beach, what was that whole hour like? Does so-and-so does so have this? They didn't even put on their swimsuit. Did you forgot the bags? You forgot the food at the house, and the couple's arguing, the kids are arguing, you're lugging everything out to the beach, you're sweating, it's awful, you get there just in time to prop your feet up and take the picture, but what we all know is it's not the dream. They're living a normal life and they have a perfect picture. That's the truth, right? Can I get an amen? And so the reality of this dream, it's a mirage. It's an illusion. And especially with vacations, because the reason why everything else seems like a dream and then you get there and it's not, there's one clear reason. Because we take us with us wherever we go. That's the truth. And if I'm not fulfilled, I'm not gonna be fulfilled wherever I go or whatever I do. So this dream, it's not real. There is no such thing as living the dream. You will live your entire life searching for the dream and you'll get to the end of your life and never experience it. But there's something called a God dream. There's something called a God dream that is very real, that God wants to impart to you and in you and through you. And that's something that brings maximum purpose, destiny, and calling in our lives. So I think today is the day we have to ask ourselves this simple question. And I, I love asking people this and telling people to think this and question this all the time. Stop sometimes in the middle of your day, look around and just think and ask yourself, why in the world am I here? Why am I here? Why am I in this school right now? Why am I on this team? Why am I in this role at work? Why do I find myself here? Why does God have me here right now? And if we don't keep that at the forefront of our mind, we're never gonna have the purposes of God at the forefront of our mind because you were born for such a time as this. You're at that job for such a time as this. You're in that school for such a time as this. You're on that team for such a time as this, but not for your dream, for a God dream. And whenever we hear sermons on a dream or a, or a God dream, sometimes the sermons, and I've listened, I've seen and heard, there, there are sermons that kind of lean too far one way, where we start thinking and investigating on our own, and we start subconsciously or consciously thinking, well, God is kind of here as a support system for my dream. I've got a dream, God, and this is what I want to do with my life. And our prayers start looking like asking God to bless my dream rather than me stepping into the call of God and us stepping in saying, God, I wanna be a part of your dream for me. God is not a support system for your dream. We are a support system for God's dream, his purpose and his calling. So I wanna be clear today, what I'm not telling you today, what I'm not telling you is that God wants you to have a life of prominence. But what I am telling you today is that God wants you to have a life of significance. 
He wants to do something significant in you and through you. But sometimes we get those confused. And we think if it's a God calling, then God wants me to rise to the top of my organization to the top of leadership in the church. God wants me to be prominent. He wants me to be rich. He wants me to have everything. And that is not what the Bible says. What the Bible does say is that he wants your life to be significant. He wants you to change your world. He wants you to change the world around you. He wants your marriage to thrive. He wants you, if you're single, to thrive as a single. He wants you to thrive as a teenager, thrive as a senior adult. He wants you to live a significant life but never promises prominence. And it's important for us to remember as I jump into the message today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 37. In Genesis, there's a story that I love that if you've been in church for uh, long at all, you've probably heard this story, but it goes from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. Uh, so 13 or 14 chapters. And, I, and this story is the story of Joseph. If you're new to church, maybe this is your first time, haven't heard this story. It's not Joseph, like Mary and Joseph, Jesus's dad. This is Old Testament Joseph, first book of the Bible. What Joseph is most remembered for, though, is the fact that he was a dreamer. He had a dream. God gave him a dream. So I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes version of this story really quickly. And then I'm going to unpack three characteristics of a God dream. So Joseph, what we'll find, and I'll read the story to you at the beginning of it in a second. God gives him a dream, actually two at the beginning of the story. In these two dreams, the dream showed Joseph, and then he told his family that in this case, he would rise. He would rise into prominence, not just significance, but prominence. Again, not always the case, but it was for Joseph. He rose to prominence, and the dream told him his family would one day bow down to him. Now, if you have younger siblings... And if that younger sibling came up to you and said, God gave me a dream that you will bow down and serve me and I will rise above you, that's immediately going to be conflict. And it doesn't matter if you're five and seven years old or 45 and 47 years old, that's gonna create conflict. And his brothers became very jealous and envious of Joseph. But the truth is that story, that dream did end up happening. But between God giving him the dream and the fruition of the dream, it was all ups and downs. His brothers plotted to kill him, backed off from killing him, but threw him in a pit. And then out of the pit, they sold him into slavery. He goes to an Egyptian governor's home, Potiphar, and over a long period of time kind of rose to significance in his home, but was then falsely accused of a crime, was thrown in prison for years and years and years. So Joseph's life was this, and it was this, up and down, up and down. And all of these years in prison, finally, through God's providence, he rises by interpreting some dreams of Pharaoh, rises to second in command in all of Egypt and saves the entire nation and the nations around from starving in a famine because of the plan God gave him. So we look at this entire story, 13 chapters. There's a lot going on. I'm not gonna cover the whole story. We're not gonna be here for five hours, just a few minutes, but it's about a dream. It's about a God dream. And I wanna encourage you right off the bat today, when I'm doing this and with Joseph's life, every single person in this room is thinking, but that's my life. I've got ups and I've got downs. I've had people betray me. And also at the same time, I've had people love me. I felt like God forgotten about me and then seasons where I feel like I'm right in the middle of God's plan. But I want to encourage you today, if Joseph in the Bible favored by God had ups and downs, your life will have them too. But God is with you and he's still giving you a God dream. Yeah. So Genesis 37, starting in verse two, 
I'll read a few scriptures here. It says this. This is the account of Jacob's family line. So Jacob is Joseph's father. Joseph, a man, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers and the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them, a bad report about his older brothers, exactly what younger brothers do. Verse three, now Israel loved Joseph. Remember, Israel is Jacob. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Now, Israel loved Joseph, this is important, more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And then he gives him a coat of many colors. And I, I wanna stop here just for a second. If you're a teenager in here, okay, we see that there's a favorite here, okay? There's a favorite of, of Jacob's and it's Joseph. If you're a teenager in here and your parents have ever told you they don't have favorites, they're lying. <laughs> they're lying. Sorry, no, let, me, let me tell you this. I mean, not fully, but kinda. Now, every parent has seasonal favorites, not ultimate favorites. You can't say, oh, that's my favorite child forever. But God, parents, come on, and grandparents, you have seasonal favorites. You do. They're all frozen right now. I can't admit this right now. <laughs> it's church. You can be the real you right here. Ready? Okay, so they have seasonal favorites. But teenagers, I'm going to tell you how to be your parents' favorite. It's so easy. So easy. Very simple. You guys ready for this? Obey. Don't lie. Be respectful. Recipe for favoritism. Right there, right? That's it. <laughs> Maybe not really, but okay. So obey, respect, don't lie. So, but in this story though, is unhealthy. Like Jacob was like, this is my favorite son. And I don't even, I don't even like any of you guys. I'm going to give him the coat of many colors. And this youngest brother is strutting around in front of his older brothers. It is a recipe for disaster. So when his brothers saw in verse four, that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told, this, when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So to understand the intensity of this story and where we're gonna go, we gotta know, like I just mentioned, Joseph was favored, favored by Jacob and by God. We gotta keep that in mind, and by God. But the reason why he was Jacob's favorite is obvious, and it said it earlier in the passage, because he was born to Jacob in Jacob's old age. That's a clue. But we got to rewind back to the beginning of Jacob's story to understand the beginning of Joseph's story. Are you with me? So let's rewind to the beginning. Jacob had a twin brother named Esau. Hey, you're doing a good job here. Jacob and Esau. He had a twin brother named Esau. When they were born, Esau technically came out of the womb first, so he was the oldest son. Back then in Jewish culture, the oldest son was given the birthright because they were born first, and they would get the supernatural blessing of God imparted by the blessing of laying on of hands by their father. So Esau was destined to be 
God's chosen guy for that family. Have you ever heard the phrase in the Old Testament, God is the God of Jacob, or God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It was supposed to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But Esau gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew, different sermon, crazy story, because Jacob deceived his older brother and stole the birthright from him. So when he steals the birthright, he tricks his father, Isaac, who is on his deathbed and he is going blind, hard of hearing. And he actually tricks his father to lay his hands on Jacob and bless him and give him Esau's birthright. You guys still with me? So now Jacob is getting a little bit older. Esau is mad at him like any older brother would be, but this is how mad. So all of this deception is going on. Jacob's plotting with his mom, who's Isaac's wife against Isaac. It's it's all crazy. This is like a family Jerry Springer episode right here in the middle of the Bible, okay? It's nuts. And then Esau goes to Jacob and says, because you stole this from me, I'm gonna hunt you down and I'm gonna kill you. And Esau was the bigger, more buff, outdoorsman, manly man of the two. And so Jacob was scared and he ran like any of us would. So he runs and he goes to his uncle's house. Uh, His uncle's name was Laban. You guys with me still? All right, Laban. So he gets to Laban's house and he starts working a little bit because he's grateful for being there. Remember, Laban is his uncle. But then he notices Laban's, one of Laban's daughters. One of his daughters, her name is Rachel. He had two daughters. Rachel was the youngest. Leah was the oldest. And Jacob notices Rachel and he's like, she is beautiful. And then he goes to Laban and says, can I marry your daughter? But let's remember, Laban is Jacob's uncle. So that means Rachel would be Jacob's cousin. So what we find right here in the middle of this story is that ancient Israel is very similar to present day Arkansas. So, okay, joke. If you're from Arkansas, write Pastor Tyrone a letter. Okay, so, oh, I'm so sorry. Alabama. Oh, okay, so, oh, <laughs> you're pointing there actually was someone. Oh, I'm so sorry. Here's, I thought I was safe in Arizona. Okay, so anyways, so he goes to Laban and says, can I marry your daughter, Rachel? And Laban says, if you work for seven years in my fields, I'll let you marry my daughter. Seven years. Sometimes we read stuff like that in the Bible and just turn the page. We're like, oh, seven years. Think to where you were seven years ago. Seven years he worked in the fields. Finally, he's done and he goes to Laban and says, I've worked seven years. Can I marry your daughter? And he says, yes, but he was very ambiguous about it. So then they have the wedding. Remember, the bride's veil was very thick and he couldn't see the face. And they get to the tent and it's dark after the ceremonies. And he goes into the tent. And the Bible says they lay together. And so the next morning, he wakes up and to his surprise, would you believe it wasn't Rachel? It was Leah. We've got to remember something. The Bible tells us that Leah, calls, it calls Leah weary-eyed or weak-eyed. It didn't mean that something was wrong with her eyes. It meant that something might be wrong with your eyes if you looked at her because she was so ugly. It's not my opinion. It's literally what the Bible says. God was not messing around on this one, okay? No one's an accident, but God was like, that's close. Okay, so I'm joking. So I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. So I'm joking, I'm joking. That's not theologically correct. So can I have fun with you guys today? Can we have fun? Okay. (laughs) So he wakes up and it's Leah. Leah. He can't believe it. Can't believe it. So he sleeps with her and then he's mad at Laban. And then he goes and says, how could you do this to me? 
how could you do this to me? I married Leah. And he says, I was worried that my oldest daughter would never find a husband. This is actually in there. I'm laughing. I shouldn't. I was, I was worried my oldest daughter would never find a husband. So I wanted you to marry her. But if you work for me for another seven years, I'll let you marry Rachel. Seven more years he works and finally wins Rachel. Fourteen years he worked for the woman he loved. Ladies, young ladies, single ladies, let me tell you something. If Jacob worked for 14 years, you can make a guy work longer than 14 minutes, okay? 14, I mean, come on. The guys are like, it's true, okay? They should earn your love and respect earn their love and respect of your family. They should work for you because you are worth it. So he finally marries Rachel. And now we get to know right now why Jacob loved Joseph. Because all of his older brothers were born from Leah. Joseph was the firstborn from Rachel. So he was treating Joseph as the firstborn son. He was favored, highly favored. So you whole, it, that gives you context for the whole study, for the whole story. So I would love for you guys to study that on your own. It's a fascinating story if you're not familiar with it. But what I want to do in a couple minutes is talk about the three characteristics of a God dream. But real quick, I want to tell you the difference between a God dream and a good dream. How do we know? A good dream, a good dream is something you choose. Something you choose. A God dream chooses you. A good dream has me as the main character. And a God dream has God as the main character. It's very simple to know. What, well, what's a God dream? What's just a random desire? A God dream does not necessarily see, see you rising up into the ranks and being over everyone. It's not desiring prominence. It's genuinely, with humility, desiring significance because God is prominent, right? Because God is over me. If he's the main character, it's probably a God dream. If you are, it's not. So what are the three characteristics of a God dream? Number one, a God dream will be God-sized. A God dream will be God-sized. The first time I came and visited you guys, Pastor Tyrone, um, you told me the story of pouring the water on dirt. And that was so fascinating to me. It was back here and I was just locked into that. That's a God dream. And it was God-sized. There was nothing about that scenario which told you this was possible outside of a supernatural act of God. Nothing. I mean, you're standing there with nothing and saying, I believe that a church is gonna be birthed and built here that can change a city, change a region, and it is, it is. It's making a huge imprint on this area. A God-sized dream is exactly that. It means you can't achieve the dream on your own, that God has to step in and do what's impossible. What God is calling us to do is he's saying this, God is telling you, you do what's possible, and then I will step in to do what's impossible. You do everything you can, and you'll be surprised how little it is, but then I will step in and do everything you cannot do. The image I always have in my head of this is the story of Peter walking on water. What he could physically do is get to the edge of the boat and then take the step of obedience. But the step of obedience was having his foot step out on something that was impossible. But when he got to the end of what was possible, God stepped in and did what was impossible. And he wants to do the same thing in your life. But the problem is so many of us, 
So many of us are standing here going, God, I want a God dream. God, when are you gonna do this in my life? When is this finally going to pass? And we haven't even gotten to the edge or the end of what we can do. And we still have to get there. And then there's all the impossible and we get overwhelmed and we freeze and we don't move. But God is saying, when you move, I move. When you take, what, when you take the steps of what is possible, I'll step in and do what isn't. It's a God dream. The birth of this church is a God dream. And God has a dream for you. God has a dream for you. Remember in the story, the two dreams that Joseph told them about were God-sized dreams. They were impossible. Because although Jacob viewed him as a firstborn because he was the first from Rachel, the truth of the matter was he wasn't. He was 12th in line, 12th in line to any kind of prominence. It was absolutely impossible, according to man's standards, for the dream Joseph that he had for it to ever come to pass. That's why his brothers laughed. Nobody believed him. They still got mad because of his arrogance, but they didn't believe him. They laughed in his face because everything about the dream was impossible, absolutely impossible, according to the standard of man. But when it's a God-sized dream, you're dreaming something that seems too big, too big for you to accomplish because it should be, because it should be. I remember the first God dream I had. I was 17 years old um, at a youth camp. And um, I remember coming down to the front for an altar call at the end of service. And I was at an interesting time in my life trying to figure out what was next. I wasn't in the best spot spiritually I'd ever been in for sure. And I don't even know why, what sparked me to come forward that night. I wasn't even responding to what the pastor was calling people forward for. I just went up. But I knelt on my knees and started praying. And God just leveled me. And that was the moment I was called into full-time ministry and the dreams and the visions that God gave me that day as a 17-year-old started flooding into my mind. I saw myself teaching and I saw myself youth pastoring and one day pastoring, all, I mean, all of this just in the span of about an hour in an altar call, just this flood of a dream. But there was one major problem. Everything I was called to do revolved at some level around public speaking. And that was a problem because at 17 years old and still today, public speaking is my greatest fear. When, when God's called me to be a pastor, I literally was like, God, I can't read out loud in class without having an anxiety attack. I can't stand up in front of my class and do a project. I was the one that would try to find, like I would always just go to the bathroom in, in, in class when it got to me to read something out loud. I had so much anxiety. I got zeros on projects because I couldn't walk into the classroom to give the presentation. It was awful. It was completely debilitating. And then God somehow in his humor says, I'm gonna call that guy to be a pastor. But it was a God dream because it was God's size, because it was absolutely impossible in my mind, in my life. So I wanna encourage you today. It doesn't matter what age you are, if you have pressed pause on a God dream because of lack of ability, because of fear or anxiety, let me tell you, keep pressing on because a God dream is God size. The second characteristic of a God dream is this, a God dream will face opposition. A God dream will face opposition. A lot of times we get excited about the potential of a God dream, yet we underestimate the price of the God dream. On the front end of the dream, we see all the potential of it, 
And then once we start pursuing the God dream, we are shocked when opposition and pain start stepping into our situation. One of the things, every time we do an altar call, when people get saved and come to Christ, I always mention, if there's one thing I can promise you about the Christian life, it's this. You will still have pain. There will still be suffering. But you will have a God that walks with you through all of it. We don't escape pain and suffering in this world, and especially when you take on a God dream. Do we honestly think Satan is happy when you say yes to the call of God on your life? What we're doing when that happens, we're actually, spiritually speaking, stepping onto a battlefield, stepping into spiritual warfare when that happens because we're pursuing a God dream. So my practical step for you today when it comes to opposition is this. It's going to come. How do we handle it? We need to expect it. Expect it. It's still going to hurt. You're still going to be sad and there will still be pain and there will still be emotions. But I think sometimes the surprise and shock of opposition is what sets us back so far. But when I expect it, I can maneuver around it, get a game plan for it, and trust God through it because I trusted God before it, all right? Also with this, a dream that hasn't been tested when it comes to opposition, a dream that hasn't been tested is a dream that can't be trusted. When it comes to the story of Joseph, think about this. Joseph gets this dream at 17 years old. Can you imagine with that level of arrogance that he had? He has a dream about his brothers bowing down to him and he runs straight to them. He says, guys, I'm gonna reign over you and you are going to bow down to me. That says there's immaturity. That says there's pride and arrogance. Okay, that's the beginning. Now you look at the rest of his story. It's up, it's down. It's up, it's down. Can you imagine being Joseph at the very last part? He's coming out of prison, rising up through the ranks of Egypt. By that time, he's probably like, I don't even care about this anymore. You know what I mean? Like he's getting up because he's been so weather beaten and the ups and the downs, the pride has been beaten out of him. I mean, every ounce of insecurity and instability. And he finally gets to this place where he's a broken, humble man with big faith in God. He's still listening to the dreams and God looks at him and says, he's weathered the storms. He's gone through the ups and gone through the downs. And now he can handle and carry the dream I wanna give him. So sometimes we look at our journey, the ups and the downs, as, it's like, as a disqualifier. Well, I've had too many downs, and, and I, I, I almost gave up on God when I went through that divorce. I almost gave up on God through that breakup, through that depression, through that anxiety, through that loss of a job. It was too low. God knows the thoughts I had in that point. There's no way my God dream is still here. It is. And the entire journey with the ups and the downs, could it be that God didn't send you to the lows, but he allowed them so you can get to a place where you are strong enough to carry what he gave you as a dream when you were younger? And that's what happened in the story of Joseph. There's three kinds of opposition I just wanna hit real quick before I get to my final point. The first kind of opposition is human opposition. And we've all experienced this, and his, his brothers were the human opposition in the story. Not everyone's gonna be happy about your God dream. Sometimes the people closest to you. And, and it's, it's, so, it's so much easier said than done with this, but we've gotta reconcile the fact that before we start sharing a dream, there's, first of all, there's a time and place for that, but not everyone, actually most people, are not gonna be this huge support system for this great thing that God wants to do through you. Why? Because they're probably wondering, why isn't God doing something great through me? 
but you might be at a place a couple steps ahead or whatever where God's speaking something to you and he just hasn't to them yet because I wanna give you encouragement. If you are the person that hasn't received a God dream yet, God is not bound to our linear timeline. God is not in time. He's outside of time, in time, around time. He is not in our timeline. So you might be waiting on God, but God's already in your future, giving you what you're expecting for, but we're on this timeline. So first of all, that, I don't even know why I shared that. That was for somebody. But God's outside of time. You're not waiting on God. He probably is waiting on you. He's probably waiting on you. Human opposition. I'm gonna share a quick story. When I was in Bible college, so I received this dream, this call of God. So I start going to Bible college to pursue being a pastor and I can't speak in front of people. I mean, I'm telling you, debilitating all-out anxiety attack. Losing breath, can't talk, about to pass out kind of anxiety. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. So we finally get to this point in college, my junior year, where I have to take this class I've been dreading the whole time. Mind you, when I graduate, my plan was to be a pastor, but I've been dreading this preaching lab class. The preaching lab class is you take everything you've learned in the first couple years and you start crafting sermons and communicating them in front of your professor and other soon-to-be pastors. So when you preach, these other soon-to-be pastors are critiquing you on index cards and it's encouragement and critique and they give them to you and you take them with you. When I was done with my train wreck of a sermon, I took the index cards and went back to my dorm room I had, a, I had an anxiety attack while I was preaching there, actually. I went back to my dorm room, and I started going through these index cards, and one after the other was saying things like, we love you, Dustin, but I think you need to reconcile the fact that this is not your future occupation. You need to look at maybe doing something else in ministry. Dustin, your communication skills are really lacking at this point in the game. Dustin, have you ever considered another job? Dustin, have you ever considered, and I'm reading one after the other, and I'm just weeping and tears just pouring down my face. And I remember calling my dad and just saying, Dad, I'm done. I have been praying for five years for God to take this away, and he hasn't taken it away at all. I have the same level of anxiety now as I did then. I don't know what to do. I'm scared, I'm terrified, I'm fearful, I don't know what to do. And my dad, I'll never forget, just said, is fear right now the only thing that you're, that you're feeling, that the reason why you wanna quit? And I said, yeah, I'm terrified. Then he said, you can't, because fear is never a disqualifier. He said, you always have to push through fear. You always have to push through anxiety. You have to keep pushing. And I remember my dad saying, God may never take the anxiety away but he will always give you the power and authority to walk through it if you take the step of faith. The step of faith. Anxiety is real. And I like to tell people all the time, it's something I still battle with today. But I wanna tell you, it's exactly that. Anxiety is not something I am. It's something I battle. Too many people take on things as identity when we should be taking them on as war. So this is something I fight. It's not something I am. It's real. It's real, and God may not take it away, but he's given me the power and authority to navigate through it because he is with me wherever I go. But that day, there was human opposition, and I wanted to quit, but I kept pushing and kept pushing through it, and I did not want to at all. The second kind of opposition is circumstantial opposition. This is simply things that are out of your control. You can't control the family you were born into, the financial um, situation you were born into, 
the city or state you were born into. You can't control the level of spiritual warfare that comes against you. These are all circumstantial examples of opposition. They're there. But I think sometimes we don't really like to talk about the circumstantial opposition and those are the things that surprise us the most. Like, whoa, Satan's not happy about the fact that I'm pursuing what God called me to do and we're surprised. Stop letting yourself be surprised by opposition. We've gotta stop letting ourselves be surprised by it. We still feel it, it still hurts, but we can't be surprised. The third kind of opposition, and this is important, is you. You, oftentimes, are your greatest opponent. I I talk to so many young adults, especially those that are wanting to pursue ministry and in our church and other places, and I know a lot of their story. And I know where they're at currently right now. They're like, I just don't know when it's gonna be my turn and when God's gonna elevate me. And I'm like, well, if you would stop making really dumb decisions, you know, God might say, now's the time. But sometimes it's our own decisions. We just refuse to make wise decisions. We wanna flirt with sin and get as close as we can to sin as possible with technically being godly. And God's going, why would I trust someone with extra weight who's living their life on an edge? I wanna pull back to the center of of the roof, not get to the edge of it looking off the ledge into sin. Sometimes you being your greatest opponent is not dealing with insecurity, not dealing with pride, not dealing with your stubbornness, not dealing with not trusting God. There are certain things we have to do. How do you work through that? It could be talking to a church leader, talking to a counselor, talking to a therapist, making amends with people, forgiving people. There are so many different things we need to do because the Bible says if I'm not forgiving people, I'm not taking another step in my relationship with God. I've got to learn to forgive. So sometimes I can be my greatest opponent. The third characteristic of a God dream is this. A God dream will require you to dream again. A God dream will require you to dream again. So in closing today, I wanna encourage some of you that are here. This whole time I've been preaching about a God dream, you're thinking this is for someone else. That God has bypassed you gone around you because of something in your past, even something current in your life right now. There's an addiction, there's a struggle, there's something going on where you're going, the God dream thing, that's fine. It's somebody else. I'm just gonna have to learn to be content with an okay dream, maybe a good dream, because there's no way God trusts me with a God dream. I wanna encourage you with something we all know. God is the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, sixth chances. He is the God of unlimited chances. And the only, the way we need to know that is just looking at the Bible. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Guys, if you ever wanna feel good about yourself, I'm gonna give you four people to study in the Bible. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David. These people are messed up. Have you read the book of Psalms and thought, I I mean, David, I don't even know. He needs to go to a counselor. You know, like he's just up and he's down, up and he's down. I read the book of Psalms and I'm like, I feel so much better about myself. And I think when it comes to a God dream, we have to get over the fact that we've made mistakes. If God is over something you're not over, what's stopping you from moving on? You've got to move on. If you've repented for it, you've got to move on. I'm done with it. Well, what if I make more mistakes? He's still there. You're just faced the right direction. Repentance is turning from sin, 
facing the right direction, but knowing you're still gonna stumble and fall. But if I'm facing the right direction, God is on my path picking me up when I fall. But I'm faced the right direction. I've got a God dream and I'm moving and I'm going. A God dream, a God dream is bigger than you. It's bigger than you. Are you dreaming big enough? Are you dreaming big enough? When I was uh, studying this morning, I went to a Starbucks early, just looking over the notes again. And for whatever reason, as I was looking over the notes, this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, that is probably, I don't know, the second most popular verse in the entire Bible, just kept coming in my head. It has nothing to do with my sermon, really, aside from it kind of being similar in theme. And what's so interesting about Jeremiah 29, 11, if they can put it up, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Most of us have seen this before, but do you know the context of this verse? If you would leave it up while I'm I'm talking about it. The context of this verse is, is interesting. Jeremiah was the prophet assigned to the Israelites while they were in Babylon taken as captives. So they're taken from Jerusalem as captives of King Nebuchadnezzar, they're in Babylon, and Jeremiah, from God, God says, what am I gonna tell my people while they're in captivity for a long time? What am I gonna tell them? For I know the plans I have for you. Right there, I mean, that's frustrating on a human level. Like, you know, wait, hold on, you're aware of this, God? And you allowed this? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future while they're in slavery. They're like, wait, hold on. You're talking about hope and a plan for the future. I have plans. I have plans to prosper you. I have a plan for you. And that was just in my head during this sermon. And this is how I want to end today because I feel like God gave me that verse to tell you guys as a church. Let me tell you why. Our culture right now, Western civilization is Babylon. We have entered into a new Babylon, Babylonian captivity school systems and media, entertainment and everything. We're there, we're there, we're in Babylon. But just like then today, and I felt like God was speaking to your church, I have plans for you in Babylon. And it's plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future. And it just, I was sitting there looking out the window actually as the sun was rising. And I just thought, what if there were Daniels right now being raised up in kids church and being born into this church a Daniel that rose up in the ranks of Babylon and shifted an entire society what if this church was meant to shift a region and a state and a world what if God was going to raise people up here I know the plans I have for you it's all in future tense It, it, it doesn't say hey good job at fulfilling the plan I had for you it's looking into the future after 28 years I know the plans I have for you, the people, the church. Israel in the Old Testament is a snapshot looking to the future of the New Testament church, which is you. I know the plans I have for you. In the midst of your personal life, your personal life could feel like a Babylon. Things going wrong in your family, in your marriage, in your finances, mental health, whatever it might be. But God is still looking at you saying, I know the plans I have for you. And they're to prosper you. Oh, are you talking about, what are you talking about prosper? I'm talking about deep fulfillment of a purpose and a plan and a foundation in your life. I'm not talking about prominence. I'm talking about significance. I have a plan for you. What's your God dream? 
What's your individual God dream? You have one. The God dream of this church is gonna seem impossible for the future. But if you get to the end of what you can do, God will step in and shift a region. He'll shift a state if we are obedient to him. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I wanna pray over your church, over your pastors today, that the future would be far more blessed than the past. Father, we thank you so much for today. And I pray for this amazing couple, these amazing pastors, Pastor Tyrone in, in Virginia. I pray for unbelievable vision for the future, that you would impart vision and meticulous wisdom and plans, God. I, I pray that you would bless expansion, that you would bless all endeavors that come from the Spirit of God that flow through this couple. Our eldership here is the church, the leadership of the church, God. I pray for blessing upon blessing upon blessing over this church. God, there was a God dream that was dreamed 28 years ago, and I'm praying for a fresh God dream today for the future. I'm praying for freshness in their team and their staff, God, and leadership, that there would be a new drive, that there would be new energy, God, because there would be new ideas and new dreams that would come from you, God. I pray for the people of this church, that they would view this church more and more and more as a family and a community, something to be a part of, something they are, God, that you would shift priorities in people's lives. And God, I also pray for individual God dreams. There are teenagers in this room that you've been trying to get a hold of, God, that right now you are knocking on their heart's door saying, I have a God dream for you. I have a God dream for you. God, there's adults who might be giving up because a marriage is, is breaking apart, a relationship is breaking apart, God. There might be something happening at work, but God, you're knocking on their heart's door saying, I have a God dream for you. I have a God dream for you. It is never too late to dream a God dream. God, we thank you for today. Bless everyone here and those watching online and give us a fresh, brand new God dream.